Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 151 of the National Security Law Podcast, brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday afternoon, January 22nd, 2020. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. Bobby, we've been threatening it for years. We're going to do it. The, the day we've been warning our listeners about has finally come. It's a deep dive into, into frivolity. frivolity. That's right. Um, hot on the heels of uh, world events that have left, left us all exhausted and, and yeah. a little worn out. And also, it's the first week of class here at the University of Texas School of Law. Um, we're both in it up to our eyeballs. and Which is, which is pretty high for both of us. Pretty, it's pretty high. It's higher for you than for me, but it's relatively high. Yeah. Um, we've decided that uh, this is non-substantive episode. I, you know, maybe, delete now. I, I mean, Bobby and I, we, we basically were like, you know, do we want to talk about substance or we just want a break? We wanted a break. We wanted a break. So, and friends, like, you know, if the, you, the, the, yeah, get, you know, getting lectured by the chief justice at two in the morning about decorum just seemed like not something I wanted to talk about. Better late than never. Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, there could be a number of people who maybe uh, are new to the show who are Sorry. wondering when we're going to actually say something about national security and law next week. Next week, we will do that. <laughs> Please don't give up on us. But also, stick around. You, you might find this uh, maddening. You might find it enjoyable. Longtime listeners know that we always end each show and often pepper throughout the show frivolity, pop yeah, culture, this, sports. This is not going to be one of our episodes that uh, gets picked up on the Lawfare podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we've edited down the National Security Law podcast to take out all the frivolity. It is therefore 47 seconds long. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Adios. Yeah. No, this is all frivolity. So uh, if you're not down with the frivolity, we will be back. We'll be back to normal next week with lots of stuff to talk well, about. Normal is relative. It's as normal as it ever is going to get. Yeah. This is not the show for you. Nope. If on the other hand, you just need a break and you kind of want to just ch- with chat us. with us and hang with us while we talk sports, movies, whatnot, um, that's our bag this week. Welcome aboard. <laughs> this, this kind of thing really ate my bag, baby. The book. <laughs> Austin Powers. This sort of thing really is, <laughs> is my, my bad baby. <laughs> this sort of thing. There's a there's a euphemism. I love it. I appreciate it. The bodlerizing. <laughs> oh, man, those are the good old days. Um, uh, should they ever have made an Austin Powers sequel, or should they have left? Which well one? Enough? Or did, any of Weren't them? Were there like four? I I stopped after the second one. The problem is, is that like I I really thought the first one was clever. Yeah, and then they started just going for um um. Like physical humor, right? Yeah. Like you know the the race to the bottom. Yes, and so it's just you know it's uh, yeah, uh, too bad. Well, that's not actually the, some of our, what are what are some of our frivolity talk- okay. topics? So you know, Star Wars, we, long thread. We've we, 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 we been talking. We've been promising for a while discussion of both Mandalorian and uh, Episode Nine. Um, so that's coming, right? Um, we have some uh, uh, football playoff reactions to discuss. We have the baseball Hall of Fame voting scandal. And just, just to be clear, the scandal to which I'm referring is not that one Hall of Fame voter left Derek Jeter off of oh, his yeah. ballot. Oh, no. There's a scandal. Okay. And uh, then uh, we got the Super Bowl, yeah. Uh, uh, books we've read, movies we've seen, music we've heard. Maybe some Oscar preview. Oscar, Oscar. So here's the problem with the Oscar preview. I am happy to make stuff up. Um, you haven't seen all these films. I, I haven't seen any of these. <laughs> I mean, it's, Perfect. It's, it's never the case that I've seen all of the movies. Right. I haven't seen, like, any of these Things. Well, let, let's say, uh, should we start with Star Wars? Do, do you know what movie I, I, I we saw in the theater on Monday because it was Maddie's fourth birthday? Uh, another round of Frozen 2 for you? So that would have been... That would have been oh, wait, the, the new Pixar? That would have been fine. I those would have been fine. You know what we ended up at? Doolittle. Oh, um, well, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, one I prefer Eddie Murphy. 
these are not great films, I assume, in either case. No. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. Doolittle, the the preview, the trailer, pretty much tells the whole story. Oh, I yeah. think. Yeah. There's no there's no great twist where it turns there out. There are to be... no great twists in Doolittle. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He <laughs> talks to animals. Wait. What? I know. Um, all right. Uh, so let's talk about rise of or the rise of Skywalker. Um, how do you feel? Um, how do I feel? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that I know. You, you say that every week. <laughs> it's, it's a given. Um, so I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I didn't hate it. Okay. Well, and and what, what I mean by that is is I thought it was by far the best of this trio of the of the post Death Star. Uh, uh, oh, you liked it more? Than, uh, hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I I had lots of problems with. It. I mean, let, let's be clear. Like, you know, there. Are any number, I mean, I felt about um, was it the rise of Skywalker? I felt the way about the rise of Skywalker that I felt about the last season of Game of Thrones. Exactly, they right? were plot, 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 plot race, plot, race, plot, race, race, finish. Fan service, fan service, fan yeah. service, fan service, fan service, and we're done. But pretty and entertaining along the way. Uh, So I like the Game of Thrones final season much more despite those elements. I was about to ask if you thought it had that parallel. It's interesting you said that. Um, It was such a race to the finish line. Do you you feel that they basically, uh, that the story changed to enable a different rap than the way... uh, Episode eight was going. Um, I mean, that was some of the speculation online, right? That right. like there was a that the script was originally actually much more interesting, and they sort of, they sort of dumbed it down for the the stupid audiences. Okay, now, obviously you shouldn't be listening at this point if you don't want spoilers. Yeah. So. Okay, so so here comes some episode nine. Spo- Although if you've been waiting to see episode nine, what yeah. exactly have you been waiting? Okay, for? so Ray's true origins, right? Ray's true, Ray's true, true parentage, yep. which. Um, is you know one of the major points people say was switched around. So now it turns out she's a Palpatinian. Um, I, you know, v- vaguely interesting, um, I guess. Uh, I, I, what did you think? Was that a clever twist? Was that worthwhile? I, it seems a little bit sort of just contrived. Like you know. Okay, here's what I want to know. The yeah. plan. Okay, so this this planet of the Sith. And I gather in the the larger Exegol? great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this plan, okay. These people hanging out there. It's like, what do they do all day when they're not crowding in in their identical outfits to cheer in the stands in this sort of like uh, giant high ceilinged arena this, where this arena. Yeah, yeah. What what do people do all day? Like, do they play board games? Do they, they got any kids? They have spouses. They all eat the same. They eat gruel, gray gruel for lunch every day, every meal. So I have a large. Is problem. there? It's large, just so ridiculous to be like, here's thousands and thousands of people just waiting for something to happen. Wait, wait. So I have a larger problem with the whole setup of Exegol. How did they build hundreds of super special star destroyers with planet busting laser cannons also, and st- man those with the thousands and thousands of crew you would need? Was it and, uh, 3,700 per star destroyer? Right, and, the feed, cannon? and feed them, right? And house them? Like, um, you know, no one noticed that like millions and millions of people and millions where's the of raw millions? material for all that? Yeah, where's I'm all like, the you know? Uh, what about the lawyers involved in doing all those contracts? <laughs> they never show the imperial lawyer. There's got to be just a huge amount of so them. There's a, wait, there is a like reference that. in episode two. There is a reference to the imperial supreme court, not, not the to the to the the republic supreme court, right? There's there's actually a reference about like how the the supreme court deadlocked like five times over whether what the trade federation did was legal. And, like, <laughs> I don't it remember is, that. It is literally the oh, only awesome. time in all lines of those movies where I think anyone talks about like the law. Well, it is a seemingly lawless society once you get to the empire, but don't tell me you can build all those giant uh, defense 
project right, uh, without weapons somebody. platforms without without lawyers negotiating this. Uh, there's there's lawyers there. All right. Um, First thing we do, let's kill them. Yes, indeed. Uh, often misunderstood, isn't it? That oh, particular, like see, generally. Right? Now you're just poking me, man. What is that like a thing with you that people misunderstand their Shakespeare references? Um, no, it was um, Marsha Blackburn <laughs> had this whole thing about how you know you know what they say about the lawyer. You, you know you know what the Bible says about lawyers. And <laughs> and, and, and and you mean like like the the Shakespeare compendium is like the Bible of Shakespeare, right? So there were a couple <laughs> of different problems with what the Bible says about lawyers. First, what she was thinking about wasn't the Bible. It was what Henry the sixth part two right um but second <laughs> the stuff the bible actually says about lawyers right is different and third even if we're going with the shakespeare quote shakespeare's whole point is that yes you kill all the lawyers first Be- because they're a problem if you have some authoritarian scheme <laughs> it's like are you daft oh i love it i love it so um, i had a little twitter spat with the uh, uh the junior senator from tennessee although she didn't actually respond but it you know. <laughs> it was a one-way spat but the, the best part though was all the bible scholars coming out to say the bible does talk about lawyers i'm like like that's not what she meant actually we, come on we all know that she was referring to shakespeare and let's kill all the lawyers this is know. starting to sound like a jeopardy question did you watch any of the ken jennings tournament of champions jeopardy stuff? i did not watch the goat tournament yeah um i think they're setting up ken jennings to take over when that, you when said to step down. I think it's a good choice, I guess. Like, who else is going to do it? I can think of some interesting Jeopardy hosts. Like who? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> why do you put me on the I, mean, I can think of lots of interesting ones, but I just think he's, to, to keep continuity. Barack Obama. Well, that would be very interesting. I, I <laughs> doubt it. That will happen. No, for continuity with the yes. audience, like this familiar face, the guy's yeah. been on there more than anyone except Trebek. But, but would it be weird to have the host be someone who knows more than all of the contestants? Uh, you know, I think that might be kind of nice. He could just kind of scoff. All right, so back to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, anything about uh, the action sequences that appealed to you? What about the just the, the awkward fan servicey Lando role? I mean, yeah, what's Lando doing? Do, what is Lando doing? Well, there? If you're gonna give him in there, give him some good dialogue. Right. That's right. The whole point of Lando is he's Billy, smooth. Billy Ray Williams just looked old. Uh, they could have given him good words. Uh, yeah. Wait, I said Billy Ray Williams. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone. Were you crossing Billy, Billy Ray Valentine I, I, with I, I Billy just D. Williams? Billy Ray Valentine with Billy D. Williams. That's Billy like, D. If you listen to this podcast, and I know you do, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be exceptionally cool if Billy D. Williams was listening. Billy Ray to this Valentine. Podcast. No one's listening to it at this point. Well, true. Um, all right. I just feel like it was uh, a kind of a like not memorable in any interesting way. Um, and I didn't have a lot of hope for it. Uh, what about how they handled Princess Leia and uh, and the you know the difficulty of portraying Carrie Fisher at all? So once again, I mean, so so I gather it was a clip show from prior. Uh, I mean, the ship has sailed right on repurposing prior digital and you know the the CGI uh, uh, Tarkin right in Rogue One was like yeah. the um, so, right, but they didn't really do that right. They, they took they took footage that they yeah, actually yeah, shot. Yeah. That that's that's less ethically problematic to me, I guess. But right, yeah. But um. My larger problem is, is as in season eight of Game of Thrones, there's all this stuff that the Star Wars characters are now physically capable of doing in episode nine and to less degree episode eight. That had that been true in episodes, oh I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, and six, <laughs> those episodes would have gone very differently. Yeah, these people, these people that have only recently become uh, Jedi capable uh, or Rays are capable right. of some pretty are amazing more, stuff. Are, she's more powerful than like Ben Kenobi. Yeah, well, um, I mean, she's a Palpatine, I guess, is the end. That that's the, well, she's a Palpatine. That explains so everything. There you go. There you if go. you don't think about it too hard. Okay, does it bug you that John Boyega has this thing where they're going in the quicksand? He's like, "There's something I got to tell you," and they just never resolve that. Never use that. That's just, they're messing with us. 
Well, that's kind of a crap thing to do in a movie to do a really ham-handed, obvious, kind of cliched sort of like, wait, the, the, I know the real identity of the... And then it goes away. You set that up. It's Everyone like, in the entire movie is like, wait. every time he's reappearing, you're like, oh, so what's the deal going to be? What's the big reveal? He's just the Pierre de Fermat of Star Wars. You're going to have to unpack that for me. Fermat's Last Theorem, right? Uh, oh. Um, right? That, you know, I found a beautiful little solution to this puzzle, but the margins of this book are too small to contain it. <laughs> That's it. If I, if I thought they were actually, I don't, see, I don't think they were actually like tweaking it. I think they just like, that was just sloppy. And, and they actually they either forgot, like they either or forgot, or or they overdid the dialogue, and never no one show ran that enough to. Can, I just, can I just get some credit for in about a three minute span invoking both Billy Ray Valentine and Pierre de Fermat? Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah, fair enough. It <laughs> right. ends in why in this podcast. Okay, so it seems like Rise of the Skywalker just isn't generating much useful insight from us. Should we turn to Mandalorian? Did, I mean, did you like it? It was okay. Where yeah. would you rank it in the in the Star Wars pantheon? Um, so I my in my view. Four, four, five, and six are untouchable. True, because of what they were in the sequence and the originality. But in what order? In in that order. Although oh. five, you, you can't overcome the originality of the original and yeah. the conditions under which they produced it. Um, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm still an empire. Oh yeah, no, no I, and I'm totally down with like what, you know if I'm going to sit down and watch just one. Yeah, Empire is, is the most enjoyable. I think it's it, it's it's very exciting, but it's it, it build it stands on the shoulders of the first one. This in the first. Episode four didn't stand on anything except uh, whatever, you know, the external inspirations that George Lucas was building on. Um, I really like, I actually really like Rogue One, and it would put that right in there in in the fourth position. Um, I have, I won't even, I don't even want to talk about episodes one and two's (laughs) slightly less awful. Three was okay. You said don't? Three was okay. I'm not even talking about that guy. Um, and uh, but by the way, p- pivoting over to Mandalorian, I love it when there's just like this random shout out in the, in the sort of the prison barge scene yes. where there's just a random shot at the the at, uh, not Jar Jar himself, but uh, that the whole, Gungans, the whole idea of the Gungans. Yes. Um, that, I thought that was a nice wink and a nod. Um, so never mind all that. Back to Mando. So you're finished now. You're all caught up. I am. Um, still, so I'm, I, and I'm you've still, been I'm more still, lukewarm than I have. I'm still meh. Okay. Two different questions. There's the question of that we had week by week as it was sort of a self-contained universe on that whole stretch of shows. No big plot movements other than just ongoing familiarization with the characters. And they were like, it was like watching like episodes of the original Battlestar Galactica. On this episode, the guys raid a prison barge and you meet some interesting new characters that you'll never see again, maybe. And, uh, and maybe there's some modest character or like, development. Or like Next Generation versus Deep Space Nine. Interesting. Well, okay, so both of those, Deep Space Nine is complicated because as you go on, it gets, in so, my opinion, right, starting far like better. What, starting like season three, And right? it becomes a story arc becomes show a story arc instead show. of a... Instead well, wasn't of a, it like the first major, like, you know, um, drama story arc? Like, I, Yeah, I, I don't know that it's first, but it certainly was at a time when that wasn't that comic, yeah. common. Um, it did what, what better comic books, better Marvel series had pioneered and in now a generation the, and before. And now it all the sort of like the binge shows did. Right, right, that... that, that, that the medium is a medium in which you can do novel style right. uh, arcs over time, and, and that makes it more compelling. And you're not confined to like the 44 minute format. Exactly, yeah. And that, that you have customers 
you have viewers who will keep watching over time. So, so Mando wasn't delivering that, which is, I think, the, the essence of your gripe early on. A, it was kind of cliched, you know, pseudo genre, uh, cliched episodes that were self-contained. It wasn't seeming to build a large story arc, which I think a lot of viewers well found kind of frustrating. You, it's Star Wars, you want this to have a bigger resonance, and then gradually you realize, like, now nah, they're just kind of having fun from episode to episode. Um, and then at the end, you get a sense that, well, maybe there's a little bit more story building here going on. A little. A little more. So um, I am not up to speed on Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars uh, Clone Wars, the, the cartoon series, or the, or the larger sort of official non-movie but canonical stuff. But, but, I, I, but I now no. know that if you were up to speed on all that, you would have probably found the finale really interesting because I guess – uh, that particular uh, Grand Moff character was he a Grand Moff or just a Moff? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> that guy. So the bad guy that shows up, his name I'm not even remembering, is like a known character. He's the guy that slew the last Mandalorian Jedi, and that's where he got the dark saber. When I, I didn't know about the dark saber, and so when when he emerges from the wreck of his Tie Fighter or whatever. Uh, version of a TIE fighter that was, and you see the funky looking lights here. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with my TV? That doesn't look right. So immediately I figured, okay, there's obviously some significance there. Um, I thought it was pretty cool to realize it was tying in and pulling in these threads from the larger universe. I guess now it turns into The Fugitive. Is that what season two is going to be? I guess. A series of, it'll be like the original Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Hulk series where <laughs> each week, you know, there's a bad guy out there that some episodes it gets closer than others to catching our hero. And in the meantime, the hero being driven from place to place, place has a little self-contained adventure. And they can keep on kind of milking this without running the story out too quickly. It doesn't feel like they're actually going anywhere significant. Um, which is a disappointment, I think. That, I mean, to me too, it's like it's like you know, if this is what, why does this show exist, right? Does it exist just for the people who are super versed on every single piece of the Star Wars canon to get a little more? Well, it's or, just a little candy, right? See, it's keeping us alive. But that's that's between yeah. movies, right? Not down. Um, well, I'm I'm okay with that as long as you take it for what it is. I early on changed my expectations and just kind of enjoyed a bit because they do they do a good job within whatever budget they've got for this, which I imagine is pretty hefty. They do a good job of it feels like a star real Star Wars production. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's using the names and the tropes, but isn't delivering the sounds and the sights. So um, I'll keep coming back for that. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. What about Disney Plus more generally? So I, I'm a fan of the platform for the principal and case-specific reason that I am a parent who needs to be able to distract his children on airplanes. That's um, it? And so the, I mean, oh, I, man, I got news for you. You can do it at home, too. It's awesome. Well, <laughs> we have not yet crossed that particular Rubicon. Um, <laughs> Don't send your kids to my house, then. Hey, okay, we'll work on that. Um, no, because it's your house. It, your house. I don't care what the rules are. You're like, you know, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with Maddie going to someone else's house and watching like ten hours of television. Just not my house. Like, I, as long as it's just their house, it's like yeah. other people's toys. Yeah, it's a good platform. Um, so that makes me think to ask you: Have you already got CBS All Access? So I'm you can watch not, Picard. So, so here's I. You know, I had gotten CBS All Access to watch the first season of Discovery. Oh, okay. But then I was like, canceled it? Why am I paying for this nonsense? Right. Right. And I'm I'm debating like, do I do I get CBS All Access or do I find other ways of watching? Picard? Well, do you know? Are that I assume they're going to trickle out the episodes right, so like that so that you can't just you know. Get it this week. Spend the weekend watching the whole thing, and then that's, get that's, rid of that's it. What no, it's not. It's not um, bingey, right? I mean, it's it's um, it's like um, Mandalorian in that respect. I think. Yeah. 
right? So, I, although I'll, I will predict for you that this will have a real story arc. Oh, no doubt. Sure, better. <laughs> um, you know I, why this isn't on the network? I don't know because you know I feel like there are. Well, it's, it's it's the the cord cutting wars, right? This is the yeah. CBS move. Compared to what NBC's and ABC are doing the, in Fox, the traditional networks, they haven't come up with a marquee right. property to drive you under their uh, pay. I don't even know if they have paid platforms. Or CBS, this is um, their way of getting you there. Yeah, I but I tell, I'll tell you this: I'm not. I'm not just going to shell out any extra money to watch CBS. Right, so I guess maybe I'm going to wait and see what the reviews are mm. on episode one of Picard. If it's strong, um, maybe I'll suck it up and pay for such time as they're trickling this out. And but I'm not going to keep on with it. And I'm frustrated that we're basically going to have to reinvent cable when this whole thing's said and done. Oh, I mean, that, we're, we're we're three years away, right? Right from from completely. What, what do you think the model will be? Will it be that, that you buy your smart TV and you're paying a surcharge? Or some subscription service or something, you're like, this one comes, and you don't have to separately pay for and open separate accounts for, um, you know, the like following. Bundling? Yeah, this one comes bundled. Of course, that didn't help you your other devices. So I actually think where we're heading, and maybe this is a little more than three or four years away, is like the TV is going to be irrelevant, right? That you're going to have some sort of integrated, um, you know, technology on an iPad or on, on some kind of tablet-like device. projected on the screens wherever you go. projected on the screens wherever you go. Yeah. No, that because we will be the access code and there'll maybe your phone or the successor to the phone, the, the, the hub, maybe that's what we'll call that's it. Right. The hub of some kind that'll be on your watch, whatever. That's is, where we're going. Yeah. And that's based on one account. But the fact remains, there's gun, unless there's an aggregator who can define an attractive choke point, right. like, a, like a cable box used right. to be, right. and therefore say, like, look, I can, I can get everyone to buy through me and I can set myself up as the middleman. Uh, it's not clear with streaming that that can be the case. And so everyone else is going to say, well, I think I'll just keep my revenues to myself. And if you want Picard, Come pay your six bucks a month. There's certainly going to be a period where there's just a whole lot of differentiated, you know, pay everybody for everything type service. If yeah. you are, if you are, you know, um, overprivileged type A people like us. Um, I, I do think, though, that eventually this ends like the VHS Betamax, you know, war yeah. where there's going to be one. There's going to be one dominant medium that basically takes over. You know, type A. I want. Do you think I'm type A? I think you. I think you are. I don't know if I fit type oh, A, oh, type B. We're getting into psychology. So I think there are some respects in which you are type A, and there are some respects in which you are very not type A. Yeah, I'm just generally type A. Are you? I, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess I have to think about like exactly where the character is. If it's if it's like intensity of work, yeah, we're both attention, type a. attention to detail, uh, neuroses. Ah, I don't know. Are you? Are you, you consider yourself a high high detail person, right? I do. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. So, so I, I am what Harry and Harriet when Harry Mitchell would say is the worst kind of high maintenance. <laughs> you you are, but you think you're not. You're, you're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. <laughs> um, all right, so Picard, Star Wars. Uh, should we pivot to sports, or do you want to say a little bit about the Oscars? You haven't seen these movies. The Oscars are coming. The Oscars. Yeah. There, I said a little bit about the Oscars. That's good. Oh, very. Um, 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 how about this? I really thought we were over this whole Oscars so white thing, but I guess we're not. Um, there was a whole thing where Stephen King became the centerpiece of a, of a bunch of, of <laughs> argumentation. What's the, there's a great meme. Um, every day someone, every, right, every day someone wins Twitter or someone loses Twitter, right? Don't be that, like, don't be that person. Don't be yeah. that, like, every, like, I, I'm, I'm not getting it quite right because it's actually much better than this. But it's like every day there's one person who loses Twitter. Well, let me ask you this. Don't uh, be that so person. you're familiar with like how he, he put himself out there and, the, and then he tried to walk it back a little bit when he got a lot of heat. I would argue it would have been much better if he hadn't tried to walk it back. I know he was just oh, yeah. contextualizing it. 
and I don't know that he ever actually backed off of his point, but no, I think but he has so, every right to state that point. No, but so often it's the, so often like you know it's like you know what better off with you not elaborating. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, like, so I think it's really important in society that we have this. There is this larger debate about um, in what in what context is you know is there objectivity to merit assessments. And then in recognizing that that's not a binary, like, yes, it's perfectly objective. No, it's entirely subjective. Rather, it's a spectrum and it's going to vary from context to context. The interesting question presented by the Oscars and, you know, just just focus on best picture is how objective is what's happened over time? Has it changed over time? What is the proper role for uh, if you think that it's not objective anyways, you think people have lenses that's. They think they're like you said. You think you're not. You think you're objective, but you're not. Is that the claim, or is it a claim that yeah, whatever, fine. You, you've got certain criteria, and you're really you're you're faithfully applying them. But there's a cost to that, and we think the cost warrants intervention of other factors. It's not clear to me where exactly Stephen King was no, on that scale. No. Uh, but I think that's an interesting conversation for the Oscars to have because it's a nice proxy yeah. for everything oh, for else. Yeah, yeah. The way they resolve it isn't by definition under my model doesn't transport automatically to all other contexts. you got to take it in context. But I actually think, so So at the risk of tying things together that are not remotely related, right, I think this dovetails with the debate over Hall of Fame voting in baseball, right? All right, like, now, now know, you're talking. Tra- like, but, but also just like transparency of process, right, how a lot of, like, which of these things it is, right, we might be able to, we okay. might, we might so be in a case in point, to assess. One person, only one person voting for the Hall of Fame yesterday uh, did not cast a ballot for the captain. Okay, so, so we should put this in context because not everyone are huge baseball nerds like we are, right? So the Baseball Hall of Fame um, is a complicated institution. Um, it is an institution that has not let Pete Rose in, despite the fact that Pete Rose is on any list of baseball's 20 on baseball players. accomplishments. He's he's at the right? top, um, um, but it, he committed a crime against the game and is therefore baseball. excluded from the um, club. It is an institution that at least has not yet um, voted in Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Same right? same rationale. Yes, although more complicated in that case because I don't think anyone doubts oh, performance that there are at least impact. some. Yeah, right. No, but also I think there, I don't think there's any doubt that there are at least some folks who use PEDs who are in the hall. No, no doubt about that. So there's a, there's a potential inconsistency. So problem. But I would argue that so in both cases you have people that are just on the numbers yep. and on on what they did at the time. Right. Well, those are clearly qualifying right. in, in easy cases and all all the ones you mentioned. Pete Rose's offense, so-called crime against the game, uh, he was betting on his own team to yeah. win, right? right? Never bet against his own team. There's nothing that related to his performance right. in a way that would suggest he did anything other than his best every time. That was his whole thing. Uh, with Bonds and Clemens and other, uh, you know, performance-enhancing drug users, uh, it's not that they were they were very much trying to win too, but the but the offense went to the unlevel playing field they created, and therefore the pressures they put on everyone else, making themselves better. Whereas Pete Rose didn't do anything that oh, no, made no, himself no. better unfairly. So my point is not to comp- my point is not to is not to put them on the same pedestal. My point is just to say that this is an institution that has that has been persnickety about membership. Okay. Um, and one of the ways in which it's been persnickety is until last year, no one had ever been elected to the Hall of Fame unanimously. Babe Ruth, not unanimous. Right. Um, uh, Hank Aaron, not unanimous. Willie Mays, not unanimous. So what's the best account for this? Is this best explained by some um, kind of traditionalist notion that at some point someone noticed that, hey, you know, it's never actually worked on the first ballot unanimously. And so we're saving it for like, Well, just know, like, and it's kind of it's kind of an interesting idea. Like the aspiration is like we haven't yet had like, 
that that player has never existed and that there's always a little bit potential for better. That's kind of a, a feel good story about someone yeah. saying like, you know what? I'm going to preserve that. Right. I mean, you're getting the, you're, you're a shoe in first ballot hall of fame. And, but, and so yeah, um, you're eligible for the hall for the hall of fame ballot. What? Five years after you play your last game. Like right. That. So the first ballot is the ballot in the fifth year after you've right. retired. Um, and some people say like, Hey, you just should wait a while. You should have to sit around a few cycles. Like well, so it's a wine or something. De- de- depending upon who it is. I mean, so, so to be a first ballot hall of famer in baseball is someone who's a no doubter, right? Which yep. is like, you know, right. no one disputes that you yeah. had one of the all time great careers for your position. Right. Um, and I, you know, I don't think there's any debate that Derek Jeter meets that criteria. Um, Last year, right, the dam supposedly finally burst when Mariano Rivera was unanimously elected to the Hall yeah. of Fame, the first person ever. Right. Arguably the greatest closer of all time, certainly, certainly in the, the conversation. Best, and certainly the best postseason closer of all time. Right. Right? Um, the, and so there's this whole scandal because one person out of, what, a couple hundred, right, didn't vote for Jeter, and so Jeter wasn't elected unanimously. All I have to say is, you know what? This is not a scandal. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I understand that, like, it's not possible that someone... And the voters, by the way, these are the members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So it's these are, like... Knowledgeable people. Right. Um, someone thought maybe it should wait a little bit. Or, no. Or I they're a Red Sox fan. I don't think... I actually think someone thought, you know... I, I think that this is someone who, you know, for whatever reason, waived his anti-unanimity rule for Mariano Rivera, but restored it for Jeter. And right. you know what? Fine. As, yeah. long as, he, as long as it's clear to you that he's getting in... I don't mind a sort of non-unanimous, non-unanimous protest. So, what vote. was the scandal then? I want to know who voted for JJ Puts. <laughs> he got one. He got one. So, <laughs> so there's this fantastic phenomenon of guys who get one Hall of Fame vote because there are hundreds of voters, and You're so like, you know, you know has, has been vote has at least one vote for the Hall of Fame. Right. Yeah. So, Jeter, like, Jeter is that like has, just yeah. like a thing you do for your buddy? I guess, but like, I mean, if you look at so, um, like um, JJ Putz's cousin is like, you know, I think the it was B-Rod. Jason. Jason Stark, I think, tweeted this morning about the all-time one-vote team. Oh, um, that's awesome! Like, you know, the, <laughs> and there are a lot of people from the 1993 Phillies on the all-time, like John Cruck and Sean Dunstan, um, Darren Dalton, I think, was on that list. That's hilarious. So, so I don't know if it's the same voter or different voters, but at least one person voted for JJ Putz. Who is a perfectly decent, but hardly like did more than decent. Like he was, he was an all star many times, right? How many times was? How many times do you think he was an all star? Right, you look I, it up. I, I want to look this up. I know, mind you, I'm not arguing he's Hall of Fame, his, but he was he was a prized closer in his day, especially his, for the Mariners. His Mets right? days, his Mets days were not anything to write home about. Yeah, that's typical of the Mets, right? Let's like, hey, let's have him now. Okay, do you know was, how many times he was an all star? What three? Once. That was a great year. <laughs> <laughs> JJ Putts, the one-time All Star. That's your argument. Yeah, that's what I got. So how many? It's not an argument because I'm not advancing the claim. Do you he know how many times he led the league in saves? Uh, I want to know his career ERA is what I'd like to know, uh, his or cr- his career WHIP. All right, his career ERA. Uh, ooh, his career WHIP was one point one five two. It's very respectable. Okay, that's good. Uh, his career ERA was three point oh eight. Nah, you know, for a closer, that's not so hot. And there wasn't a single season, not one, where he led even the league, let alone like, like let alone the whole majors <laughs> in saves. So, so should they should they figure out who cast that vote and say like you don't take this seriously? Because obviously, that's not a serious vote. I mean, he finished thirteenth in the MVP voting in two thousand and seven, his All Star year. Is it proper then? <laughs> so is is novel? Let's call that novelty voting. Is casting a novelty vote grounds to lose your uh, franchise as a Hall of Fame balloter? I no, my my position is just that I think they should make it transparent so that like you so know, he has to bear the cost to he or she whoever did that. The, like you know, if you want to vote for someone like Adam Dunn, Mister Three True Outcomes, you know, 
God bless you, fine. But, yeah, but it, it, it calls into question the seriousness of the Enterprise, I guess. Now, Adam Dunn was a two-time All-Star. He's <laughs> twice as he's literally twice as good as JJ. And, and Adam Dunn actually led the majors in at least two statistical categories at different points during his career. One of them was strikeouts, and the other <laughs> was walks. You know, that's like <laughs> citation counts there, right? So people were like in in academia in general, but including of late in law schools. There's all this talk about measure trying to find objective measures for scholarship because we're because we're so damn drawn. Like if you can measure it, therefore we should put weight on it. But of course, is there any better evidence of the silliness of having citation count be any kind of meaningful measure of quality when, for example, one of the ways you might be cited is prefaced by, but see. This is my Brett Kavanaugh or, joke. Or, as an illustration of a wrong point of view, I will now extensively cite the following. Right. Yeah, you're, you, he cited you as a but see, right? This is, no, he, so he never actually has, but at a conference once, right? He was talking about everyone on the panel and how he really benefits from and tries very hard to cite their scholarship. And then he looked at me, like, He's going down the panel. It's like <laughs> Judith Resnick, you know, um, Vicky Jackson. And he looks at me. He's like, and, and, and he has this sort of, I'm not sure what to say now. Look on his face. And so I say, but see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, sports. Uh, did we round out the Hall of Fame enough to turn our attention to the Super Bowl? I, I, I just want to say one thing about Adam Dunn. Yeah. I actually really love Adam Dunn as a baseball player. Not because he's good, um, but because, you know, it's, just, it's fun to watch. When he hits the ball, it goes far. But... You could make a case, right, that Adam Dunn, I mean, his plaque in Cooperstown would say, here is the all-time leader of the three true outcomes. There, like It is a distinction, and if you want to put a uh, emphasis on the fact that baseball has trended towards, three hey, true outcomes. just, just, he yeah. was, Bobby, he was ahead of his time. He was. He was a trailblazer. He was a trailblazer. That's why Adam Dunn should be in the Hall of Fame. And alas, it's a lot. It's, you know, I would argue that the uh, the sort of, you know, strikeout or home run yeah. model is is no fun to watch. It just, it's not. It's you know, it's almost like watching boxing, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, that was cool. All right, boing, boing, boing. Um, and to me, that's part of the, one of the many problems of modern baseball. So the trail he blazed was a bad one. It was a bad. I don't want to reward. But him I could at least it. see, like, so hey, Adam Dunn had an impact on this the is game. like the time man of the year or right. person of the year. Right. Uh, Do you know thing? who did not have an impact on the game? One time All Star JJ Putz. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there was something he did. We don't know. I about. was really hoping he'd actually okay, never been an all-star. G- there has got to be a Mariner fan out there listening to this. He's like, the case for JJ Putts is so lay it on us. You know what? If you are if you are listening and you've made it this far and you want to tell us about how JJ Putts, <laughs> we is, are there for you because you've been here for us. I mean, you know his what his three full non-injury plague seasons in Seattle, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. All right. What else we got? The Super oh, Bowl is upon us. He led us. the league in games finished in two thousand and seven. Well, okay, yeah, you know that's a that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. That's, that's a category. Uh, the Super Bowl is the Chiefs and the 49ers. So I, I did not go back and listen to um, um, our football. Pre- our, oh wait, our football can, oh I want to go back to that. Careful listeners, do you recall what my prediction for the NCAA uh, for the for the, the national the national championship? What it was? I had LSU being Clemson. I forget the exact number, but I think it was. I said like forty one thirty two or something. Wait, I was really close. Way to go out on a limb there, buddy. I almost had the score right. What are you talking about on the limb? I deserve credit for that. You deserve a Hall of Fame vote. I do. What? By this measure, I certainly do. This podcast deserves a Hall of Fame vote. Oh, that's good. Yeah. There you go. Although we already have oh, we need title. To, we need to warn people in the title. <laughs> the frivolity. <laughs> um, this frivolity deserves a Hall of Fame vote. So I don't want to talk about college sports because then we have to talk about Texas college sports. And Texas college sports... Well, don't pay with too broad a brush. Our tennis team's awesome. Our swimmers and divers are incredible. Fair enough. The How baseball team might be good. Revenue and we, and we, hey, and we crushed, 
crushed Utah in that uh, bowl game and ended on a nice note. Yes, for Tom Herman's very good at winning pointless bowl games. Pointless? I don't think I felt very pointless to him. That was meaningful for okay. recruiting, and then our, and then for finishing the season strong. team lost by 38 the other night. In yeah, the, in I have no brief for them. It's time for a change. And I'm not even sure why it was that close. I mean, I, 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 they were lucky it was that close. They were lucky it was that close. Time for change. All right, uh, but there's pro football. I, I really want to go back and say, uh, we, we, we talked at the beginning of the season about like our season predictions. Oh, I don't remember it all. I don't remember them at all. I'm sure I did not pick the 49ers, though. No, but I remember being high on the Chiefs. I remember. I actually remember being pretty high. In yeah. The well, no, it was clear. You know, they arguably should have been in it last year. I mean, with with that offense and yeah. the improved defense, yeah. not much improved, but yeah. arguably improved a little bit. Uh, the offense is great. Uh, how do you how do you see them shaping up against each other? I think it's going to be a weird game. Yeah. Because I think that like you know it's it's like the the what the the unstoppable force against the immovable object. object. Good, really good defense. They Versus can put really pressure on Mahomes, but Mahomes has the tools to escape the pressure and critically right. win scrambling, make incredible plays. So that's I, his whole bag. I, I think that like the the two strongest units right are the Chiefs' offense and the 49ers' defense. Yeah. And and I think the. You know, I have no faith that if the game's on the line, uh, Gra- you know, Jimmy Garoppolo can like make a huge play yeah. when it's needed. So I think he's, I think he's good, and yeah. I think the Chiefs' secondary will make him look a little bit better. Uh, obviously, the 49ers line? have a strong running game because they have a really strong line, right. and because Kittle, uh, when you have an extra capable tight end, it just who. A tight end who is really capable of contributing in the run game and in the pass game, like Kittle does, arguably the best right now with Gronk gone, um, that changes. It opens up so much in subtle ways. Uh, and the Chiefs have a relatively weak defense. But if it, but if what this signifies is we might get a bit of a shootout, my money's on the Chiefs. Oh, the higher the higher score in this game is, the more it favors the Chiefs. Yeah, for sure. The 49ers cannot stand and stand, go toe to toe with Pat, with Patrick Mahomes. No, I don't think anybody can. Not currently, anyway. So I, I'm you're here. I'm calling it for the Chiefs by ten. Chiefs by ten. Yeah, yeah, ten. I don't think it's going to be that. close. I don't take bets though. I, I don't, I don't think, money I, on that. I, I don't think it's going to be that close. Be, oh, you, you don't think it's going to be that close? You went over. I think the Chiefs are going to. I, th- I think it's going to be a close game. I I think like both of the Chiefs playoff first two playoff games, it's going to be close in the first quarter. And then the Chiefs are just going to blow the Niners out of the building. All right. This will be fun to see. Um, you going to stick around for the uh, Shakira and J-Lo halftime show? So, you know, this is how Ka- Karen and I, when we watch the Super Bowl, right? Like, I'm all into the game, and she's like, when's the halftime show? Uh, I think it'll be good entertainment. That's, that, those two are fun. That ought to be a good show. But I just don't even know what genre the Super Bowl halftime show is. It's not really a concert. It's not it's, music. It's, just, it, it's, it's, a, just, it's a performance of some kind. Of some yeah. kind. Yeah. Anyways, uh, all right. Uh, what, have, what have we left untouched? You've books. read some books lately? I've read some books. Hey, congratulations on the books you've been reading. That's nice. <laughs> As opposed to the books I've been writing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the um, uh, two books, I think I don't know if I mentioned one already. Um, so I finished this fantastic book, Appeasement, by Ian Bouverie. He's this uh, uh, up-and-coming British historian about the, the interwar period and the, the sort of decline in, toward World War II, basically. Um, it's basically sort of the, the British and, to a lesser degree, French posture toward Germany from the from the the sort of the the rise of Hitler to the the beginning to Churchill's elevation of prime minister, it's it's incredibly well done. Um, I learned a lot that I didn't know, especially about like how much of this sort of ship had sailed before Munich. Um, you know, we tend to think of like appeasement, Munich and appeasement, like mm-hmm. you know that's but the you know the remilitarization of the of the, the Rhineland yeah. of the Ruhr, um, right? I mean, the all that stuff is just sure. No, that that was there was a reason. Hitler was in a position to achieve what we characterize as what we describe as appeasement. And there's these fascinating, you know, counterfactuals about like you know if Britain and France had really put their feet down in 1938 and gone to war over Czechoslovakia, 
you know, what would Stalin have done? You know, yes, right. they weren't ready for war, but neither was Germany. I mean, like, you know, does World War II look radically different? Uh, on the same topic, this is not one I read recently, but you've made me think about Robert Harris, mm-hmm. the book Munich, mm-hmm. which is this really, really well done and interesting uh, fictional fictionalization of the Munich negotiation, sort of told through the lens in particular of, of some characters who were there, there's sort of a personal story woven into it, but it kind of gives you that sort of, uh, you know, person in the room account with a real compelling narrative for the individuals involved. I, I don't want to describe too much because, anyways, if you're if you're interested in Good. that set of episodes, Munich's a lot of fun. Good. Um, well, maybe fun's the wrong word. I there's nothing concept. fun about it's, it. It's it is a fun read though. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also finished just finished reading at Karen's insistence uh, Ronan Farrow's book Catch and Kill. Okay, so uh, not a fun read, I'm sure. No. A good read, though. A story well told. It, it is. It is. It is a remarkably well written book. I mean, I, I, you got through that in a hurry, uh, or at least I did. Yeah. Um, was it, it a lot you didn't know? It was a fair. So I, you know, I read um, the New Yorker pieces, right? I had never fully appreciated the backstory about why they were New Yorker pieces, right? So um, that part, you know, the, the the sort of the gravity and the depth of the allegations against Harvey Weinstein, like, that's not surprising to me. But, like, the the steps that NBC went to to not report it. Um, yeah. That so that, that is, that is it's really two different stories. It's, it's the story of, of the harms directly inflicted. And it's the stories about how media power works and about the interests that drive people to make decisions. Which, which, which starts as being about the Harvey Weinstein story, but actually ends as being about the Matt Lauer story. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, I don't, I don't have any reason to suspect that like ABC or CBS are in any way above any of this. I mean, CBS had its own problems with Leslie. No, no, they're all, they're all, <laughs> there's but, no reason to think it's particularly but, different. Wow. This is like, I mean, you know, Karen's an employment lawyer, right? And she's reading this book and she's just like, you know, like, every five like, minutes. She's liability, liability. Throwing liability. the book down and like, what? The, oh, Cause there are all these lawyers in the room who are, you know, signing off on all of this. But, so, you know, one of the, one of the great lessons, I think eventually all lawyers and certainly law students, Law students don't know this. Lawyers eventually see this. Like, just because there's lawyers involved doesn't mean it's all buttoned up. Often, quite the contrary. Um, so, I mean, this is this is a good chance to plug. So, you know, um, Leah Littman, right, who's now at Michigan, gave the commencement speech at UCI Law last year. Oh, that's cool. And the whole do and they the, normally have faculty do that? That's I, I, very I, cool. I, I don't know. Um, and the whole, I mean, it's UCI, so it's been like you know, normal is like five yeah, what's years. normal? <laughs> yes, um, yeah, it's, it's 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 most of our history we've done it this that's way. That's right. Um, so and and the I, folks should go read this for themselves. But the 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 gist of Leah's speech was um, there is nothing inherent about the legal profession that leads lawyers to do good, right? That you know that that we should all aspire to do good as lawyers. But being lawyers is not of itself a no. Like you know, y- your ethics are still going to say a whole lot about your life as a lawyer. So isn't it interesting? Yeah. So if if the point is that. Becoming trained in the law isn't itself going to make you a more ethical person. Um, you're, what you're inclined to do and what you're willing to do will remain determined by other factors for the most part, of course. And that'll be, I would say, I would say it's it's a rare circumstance where there's any sort of training as or as an educational uh, matter that sort of like reveals to you like, oh, I didn't realize. That said, I mean, maybe maybe it's. Reading great literature, maybe it's theological studies. There are there are things you can study and do that, if you're open to it, you can in fact refine your your sense of ethics, morality. Um, but I will say that I do think that certainly we try to inculcate 
a sense of uh, aspiration to behave in, in line, not just with legal ethics, of course, there's that, but to larger ideals of justice, equality, liberty, and, and other things. Some, you know, various ones of us put different emphases on there. Whereas uh, I think it's an interesting question to turn to a more technical field, say engineering. Right. And, uh, you know, there are, I think, increasingly in computer science and other settings where the policy relevance of what they do has become more visible in recent years, where there's a wave of enthusiasm in having, you know, computer science ethics. And uh, it's, it'd be interesting to go around the horn of various fields and ask, you know, to what extent do you view that as even as orthogonal or intrinsic to, to what you're working on? Important question. All right. Have we exhausted the frivolity? I'm sure we haven't, but, you know... Uh, we're 45 minutes in, and I've got class in half an hour. All right. It's Article 3 day in federal courts, to which you might say... Isn't all... Yeah, <laughs> you beat me to the punch. But but class two, we actually do... A, we, we really do do yes, a you, deep dive into Article 3, nah, the text. Oh, that's some fun. Oh, yeah. The, 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 I, when I told the students this is the only class all semester where we won't read any cases, they look super thrilled. <laughs> Until they get in there and hear the the part. It's, still, of it's the... still shopping period, right? They can still theoretically bail. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wave off. Wave oh, te- off. I'm teaching one L's right now, so no. They're, they're no stuck. The, the, to bail requires a much more dramatic departure. Whereas I'm just going over uh, my one L's uh, uh, fall comma exams with them. Good times, I'm sure, had by all. Not really. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, so we will we will actually have a substantive episode next week. There's plenty to talk about. Um, you know the. The 9-11 trial has Mitchell and Jessen testifying this week, Woo-wee. so I suspect there will be some, some fallout from that. Uh, should, we, uh, should we give a code word for anyone who actually listened to this, this uh, full thing, gets to this point, can uh, tweet at us and, and just to, yes, to the, prove they the, got this far? The, the code word is Palpatine. <laughs> Palpatine. All right. Or, 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 should yeah, the, yeah. Or, or should the code word be J.J. Putz? <laughs> either one will do. All right. You, cho- you if, choose. If you made it this far, send us a little tweet that says either Palpatine or JJ Putz or both. Exactly. Double trouble. Uh, he is at Bobby Chesney. I'm at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast. <sighs> Hold on for dear life, people. Stay safe out there. Adios. That was frivolous. I'd like to see 1917. I think that's what I'm next going to go see. I I mean, I would like to, too. You know, (laughs) can Riley watch the girls? Maybe, actually. All right. We're on.